we had a lot of fun developing the herb business at Rock Spring Farm, which was which was my farm uh, here in, in Decorah, Iowa, and, and kind of learning our way around it and, and applying some different ideas to it that uh, for us, it was it was kind of a learning experience, putting together a bunch of different pieces of knowledge and, and kind of figuring it out. And I think we came up with a pretty darn good system that works for, I mean, it works whether you're doing a CSA or whether you're doing doing restaurant sales or store sales or whether you just got something in your backyard and want to make it a little bit easier and a little bit more fun to manage. Today we're talking about culinary herb production, folks. And for this conversation, I found the perfect guy to talk about it. I'm Chris Blanchard and I uh, run a company called uh, called the Purple Pitchfork. We do uh, education, consulting, and uh, and working with farmers on, on business systems, uh, looking at ways to help uh, help farmers make their jobs easier and be able to, to create more successful outcomes. I spent 25 years farming myself and uh, have been doing the, the consulting and education work uh, on, the, on the tail end of my farming experience and then now I'm doing that full time uh, for about six years now. This is the Ruminant Podcast, a show that ponders the best way to farm. The ruminant.ca is the website, editor at the ruminant.ca is the email address, and at Ruminant Blog is where to find me on Twitter. I'm Jordan Marr. All right, let's go. Hi, everyone. This episode of the Ruminant Podcast features part one of my conversation with Chris Blanchard, who ran a successful culinary herb operation for many years and took some time to talk to me about the finer points of doing so. In this episode, Chris provides a good rationale for adding culinary herbs to your market garden, some advice for sourcing good herb stock, and some tips for successful propagation of cuttings. Next week, in part two, we focus on harvest, post-harvest handling, and marketing. But before any of that, I want to remind you about just how delighted I would be to receive a voicemail from you, in which you spend a minute or two describing something you're doing on your farm that you think other farmers should know about. I recently purchased a Skype number just for the purpose, which is 310-734-8426. That's 310-734-8426. I hope you'll consider leaving a message. I'd love to share what you're doing. There's not much else to say, except you can really help the podcast by telling people about it. Please consider tweeting about it or blogging about it, or if you belong to any kind of farming organization or network, let your colleagues know about it. I'd also love to hear from you, so if you have anything you'd like to share, email me at editor at theruminant.ca or tweet at me at ruminantblog. Okay. Here's part one of two on herb production, and I'll talk to you again at the end of the conversation. Chris Blanchard, thanks a lot for coming on the Ruminant Podcast. I'm so glad I could be here, Jordan. Thank you. Chris, I have a subscription to the uh, online uh, publication for market gardeners called Growing for Market, and I, I recently uh, noticed that you had, you had put out three articles with uh, with Growing for Market in 2014, all about... Uh, per, uh, herb production on a small on a small scale uh, for restaurants and retail uh, sales, and I thought it was a great series of articles. So I asked you to come on, and you said yes, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about herb production today. I'm I'm excited to talk about herb production too. It's it's really a. Um... We had a lot of fun developing the herb business at Rock Spring Farm, which was which was my farm uh, here in, in Decorah, Iowa, and, and kind of learning our way around it and, and applying some different ideas to it that, that we actually 
I, I'm sure this is what they do out in California, you know, where they where they actually, you know, where where there's large herb farms growing stuff year round. But it, but uh, for us, it was it was kind of a learning experience putting together a bunch of different pieces of knowledge and and kind of figuring it out. And I think we came up with a pretty darn good system that works for. I mean, it works whether you're doing a CSA or whether you're doing doing restaurant sales or store sales or whether you just got something in your backyard and want to make it a little bit easier and a little bit more fun to manage. Well, yeah, for sure. And, and Chris, what I took from, from the start of your first article is that for you, up to the point that you got serious about herbs, herbs were just kind of more of like an afterthought. And I, so I want to know if, if you agree with that characterization. And I also want to know if you, like, I have the sense that certainly on my farm but for many like people farmers growing vegetables they do have herbs but it's just totally an afterthought it's not something that they are focusing on they just have a little herb patch and if they're already selling to restaurants maybe they're they're harvesting a few herbs to sell or they're just putting them sometimes in their csa but it's 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 a product that not a, a lot of farmers have in some tiny amount but they're not really focusing on is that is that fair to say oh yeah i think it's totally fair to say and, and that's the way we were before we before we got into the business uh, before we really said said hey we want to we want to make this a, a core part core element of, of our farm uh we you know it was we just we had a few herbs we had some stuff here and there um you know we were growing some for the csa sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't a lot of times it went to flower and it just ended up being an ugly mess <laughs> that sounds like my herb patch <laughs> so you got weeds in your herb patch jordan <laughs> herbs and just are weeds yeah and and also just <laughs> constant flowers and it's it's an ugly mess but uh before so I, that's why i'm so keen to talk to you but uh, uh before we get further into it can you also just provide a little more context of your farm the size and what you were focusing on before you got into herbs more heavily well so we I started Rock Spring Farm in 1999. Uh, we're in Decorah, Iowa, which is and which is right up in the northeast corner of of, of Iowa, right next to the Minnesota state line. And the um, we we had a we had a 200 member CSA. We had uh, we were doing sales to I think eight or nine different natural food stores in the Twin Cities. And the natural food stores in the Twin Cities actually tend to be pretty pretty large natural food stores. They're not they're full size grocery stores up there, not like they are in a lot of places. And and then um and then we were doing a farmers market in Rochester, Minnesota as well on Saturdays. And and so uh at a, at the time we started getting into the herbs, we had about twenty acres of vegetables that we were growing. Uh that included the herbs. We had a bunch of uh we had several greenhouses uh doing winter production uh, as well as summer production, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's 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 about the sum of the the sum of it. We had good land, you know, we had nice, beautiful bottom land, um, about five acres of really beautiful bottom land, and that's where we focused our herb production. And and uh, just just so that so that listeners can keep this in the back of their mind, were you doing organic production or conventional or somewhere in between? Yeah, I've you know I've always been an organic farmer. It's just that, that that was when I got started, there was no question that that's what I was going to do. And so, yeah, we were certified organic. Okay. And so like the, a lot of farmers we just talked about, you were doing herbs, but not with any kind of focus. Uh, and then, it, but, but you did, you were making herb sales. And so at, at one point you, 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 you got to a point where you really wanted to, to take that, that part of your business more seriously and ramp it up. Um, well, there was a CSA farm that I had visited, uh, back in the, back in the 1990s and they they had really pushed on and impressed on me the idea that that herbs in a CSA box added a lot of perceived value. You know, you could take a you could take a bunch of 
of rosemary that might have $2 worth of value at farmer's market and stick it in a CSA box, and it increased the value of that box by far more than $2. You know, because because it was there, and it said, "Hey, this is cool and hip, and there's something fresh and different and fragrant in here that I that I can't necessarily go and get in the same quality at the grocery store." Oh, so, I, I hear you, man. I I mean, I think I think I think I hear you. Like I I have a CSA much smaller than the one you were doing, but um, it's not just about the content in there; it's how it's presented. And and I would think, and I and I include herbs in our in our CSA bags. But you know, when you have something that they pull out, they open the bag and there's a waft of rosemary coming out. It's just a wow factor. They're excited, you know. Yeah, the waft. I, I think that I mean that should almost be a quality factor when you're talking about talking about produce. And any any time you're retailing produce, you want that waft whenever you can get it, whether you're at farmer's market or whether you're dealing with the CSA box. And so we we had we were doing herbs and we and so we we had the herbs on the farm and we were we were actually up doing a doing deliveries um and and we saw at it was at Seward Food Co op in the in the Twin Cities and they had they had little baggies of herbs from Jacobs Farm in California. And it was these it was these cute little maybe four inch by eight inch bags with a with half or three quarters of an ounce of herb in there and they were retailing them for two dollars and fifty cents and and we looked at them we were already doing a lot of stuff in bags because we did a lot of salad mix and 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 spinach baby spinach leaves so we were already doing that in our marketplace and we said you know we know how to put things in bags and we've got these herbs here that we're underutilizing for our csa and we told we were like, hey, we could do that. Why are you buying that stuff from California? And and that's how we kind of slid into it. And then of course, you know, typical of farmers, right? We, I mean, we we very much had the cart before the horse. We're like, oh yeah, we we can do that. And then we went home and had to figure out the labels and the bags and the and then how to actually grow the herbs. And and so so we really kind of ramped up our production all at once at the same time that we were kind of trying to figure out how do you, how in the world do you do herb production in any in any meaningful way and, and it's, it's, it seems like it seems chris Ugh. like one thing that that you realized early on is that if you're gonna if you're gonna focus on herbs and have a productive profitable herb business it's a long-haul commitment in terms of how you manage the crop yeah and one of the great things about it for getting into herbs is that that it also means it's a long haul commitment, but that means that there's a high there's a high barrier to entry. You know, one of the challenges with being a, a successful vegetable farmer is that it's really easy for people to get into the business. Mm-hmm. You know, all you got I mean, what does it take to get into the vegetable farming business? You plant some radishes and you're in business. You know, there's a there's not you don't need a lot of infrastructure. You don't you don't need a whole lot of land. But with the herbs, especially because if you want to get into a packaged herb line or you want to be if you want to be the herb person, the herb guy or the herb gal, you're going to have to have um, a whole selection of herbs, annuals and perennials. And the perennials need to be established about a year in advance of of when you plan to start harvesting them. So you really want to you really want to be ahead of the curve on that. And once you've got that stuff established, it's going to anybody else that wants to get into that marketplace or wants to have a similar niche to what you've got is going to have they've got a year of growing before they can catch up with you. And so, yeah, I mean it takes some commitment, um but it but that commitment also turns around it's actually a marketing advantage. Right. And and, and in that sense, I mean herbs aren't normally classified as a value-added 
type of agricultural good, but they have a lot, they share, they share a lot in common with value added products is, is in terms of their creating more of a barrier to entry. And as you alluded to before, people, per, the perceived value is high of, of, of a lot of herbs. Yeah. And like with a lot of your value added products, there's a big difference between, between doing it in your backyard and doing it commercially, you know, right. Uh, you, you know, it's, I mean, I, I think the same thing's true with raspberry jam, right? You know, you make six, you make six pints of raspberry jam. There's not a whole lot to it, but you want to start producing cases of raspberry jam. And now you're in a completely different ball game. Right. And the things that you could get away with before you can't get away with now. Now I do think on a small farm, um, you know, I'm a systems guy. I'm all about I'm all about systems for operating. Um, so having a way to get things done. And I think even on like a CSA farm, having more having a more conscious approach to how you manage the herbs is going to make that into a into a part of your operation that has uh, that's that's really adding value, not just for your CSA shareholders, but is also working well for your employees and is something that's not just a Oh God, we got to get, we got to do the herbs. The end of the day on Thursday before we pack boxes on Friday, we got, we said we were going to get some herbs, and now let's go try to scrounge up fifty bunches of time. You know, I think if you if you have a system for management, then it's really going to be, it's going to be much more of a of a joy to work with that crop because herbs are fun. And that's the other. You talk about that fragrance people get out of the boxes. I mean, there's nothing like you know, go on and pick in a hundred bunches of time. And you just, I mean, you've got that fragrance all over you. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. Okay. Well, well with that, let's, let's talk about some herbs. Let's talk about herb production. Okay. Uh, but, it, I, I, but, but at this point I am going to, I am just going to tell you what my goal is for the rest of our conversation. Um, in your, in these three articles, you kind of lay out, uh, you lay out a lot of your system for someone who wants to go in this direction and make herbs a big part of their business. And we're going to talk about that, but I th- I'm hoping to also just come up with, uh, a bunch of tips for, for those who are still going to keep herbs as just a casual part, uh, or, or an afterthought of their, of their business, but just some tips to do it better. Uh, because I, I certainly gleaned a lot from, from what I read in your articles. How's that sound? That sounds great. Great. So so Chris, let's let's start here. One thing you realized very early on in this in this transformation is that you had to think about growing different varieties of the same herbs you were growing. You had to change up or at least take take your varieties more seriously. Is that right? That absolutely. Yeah, there were a couple of key traits that we that we ended up going after. Um, I mean, the the I think the most important is going to be getting something that's a lot slower to go to flower. That becomes a major management point because once a plant goes into flower, it it moves from being in um, in vegetative production to being in reproductive mode. And once it starts flowering, it's going to be putting all of its energy into flowering until it thinks that it's done having that opportunity to reproduce. So we want to we want things that are going to be really slow to get to that point. We found we thought at first that we really wanted to be doing herbs with a with a high essential oil content. But we actually found that that you know the <clears throat> the extra 10% of 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 essential oils that make something high essential oil content just wasn't that important to us. I mean, 10% more rosemary smell just doesn't amount to a whole lot in when you're putting something in a CSA box or packaging it in a clamshell to sell in the grocery store. So we really found that 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 was something we went away from. The other big one is to have the right kind of spacing for the inner nodes. A lot of people grow, and we we started off with this um, with this German winter time. It's a seed it's a seed propagated variety 
we bought our seeds from Johnny's. No problem with it, except that it's it's really short. All of the leaves are packed, you know, maybe a, a quarter inch or a half inch apart from each other. I'm trying to think of quarter inch. Yeah, you know, quarter inch, half a centimeter. You know, really not a lot of space. You end up with a stubby little plant. But if you really want to want to feel like there's a sense of abundance, whether you're putting it in a clamshell, putting a twist tie around it, whatever, that, is, that sense of abundance is really important. So we found that we wanted things that had a little bit longer inner nodes and then also had kind of a, of a bushy, that the, that the leaves had some bushiness to them. You know, or the stems had some had some bushiness and and kind of a full feeling. You know, you don't want things that are super stretched out, but you want to have them stretched out enough. Um, so those were kind of the those. That's what we really ended up going after with the with the herb varieties. And Chris, what can you just quickly clarify? What was the issue with uh, too high of essential oil content? What were you, was there a trade off? You were losing some other characteristic. No, but we found, we weren't losing other characteristics, but we found that these these other traits, the slow to flower and then having the right the right plant shape, the right form to those stems was far more important than having something that had a little bit more essential oils in it. Okay, and and in terms of finding the right varieties, was it pretty much just trial and error or, or did you find it easy enough to ask around? Was it simply that you just you just looked for the right traits in in descriptions and seed catalogs or or how did it it was total try and, trial and error on our part. You know, there aren't a whole lot of commercial herb producers in in this country. So it's not like you can just you can just go out and say, oh, I want the commercial variety of, of thyme. But we we would do some reading in the in the catalogs. Um, we actually talked to other herb growers. You know, the it's kind of funny. Jacob's Farm out in California, who had been supplying to the co-ops in the Twin Cities, we actually called them and got a lot of assistance from them. We were right up front that we were planning on going into their market, but they were very helpful with that. Um, sometimes we even took stuff that we bought and, and just uh, propagated it. You know, you can you can get time at the grocery store and you can stick that time and start growing it. And that's, you that's, know. that's actually provides a good segue then. Let's just talk a bit now about, about propagation because it, another thing you did as earlier on before you were serious about herbs is you, you did a lot of, uh, growing herbs from seed and it sounded like almost maybe each year or quite often, you know, each year you'd be planting a lot of herbs from seed, but you realize you had to move for a lot of the herbs, the, the more woody herbs towards, uh, propagation from cuttings. Yeah. And even for the non-woody herbs, most most okay if you're dealing with perennial herbs or herbs that are perennial in their native habitat don't tend to reproduce true from seed so if you're growing carrots you're going to grow carrots from seed it's an it's an annual crop or a biennial crop if you want to get technical about it but it's got a it's got a 12 month life cycle to it and and nobody nobody grows carrots from vegetative propagation and they produce a lot of seeds a lot of these these herb crops don't produce an abundant amount of seeds and because they're perennials it actually takes a lot longer to do the seed production with them so they they don't tend to be stabilized you know if you, you if you plant if you have an open pollinated carrot you plant you plant the seeds from the open pollinated carrot you're going to get something that's pretty similar to what you had last year that's not going to be true with a lot of herb if you want to have plants that have stable traits you're going to want to you're going to want to propagate those vegetatively so that you're not having that that sexual recombination of the of the genes okay so i need to clarify something i think i think you're making a reasonable assumption in in this in this uh conversation that because i guess you wouldn't advocate starting your 
let's just talk about time each year's time crop from seed that year that doesn't make sense so you're picturing the yeah. gardener who is just letting their time go to seed over winter or whenever and then that 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 seed sprouts the next year with new time and you're arguing that the problem with that is you don't get stable uh, predictable uh, offspring yeah i actually so so let's let's rewind all that jordan actually what i'm what i'm getting at is that if you if you buy time seed if you're going to if you're going to get time from seed you're not going to get the kinds of varieties that you want to grow commercially there's there's not that many varieties of time available from seed mm-hmm. Um, because it's hard to breed time. Uh, for seed so you're production. going, you're going all the way back just to this, to, to the people producing the seed. It's just, it's not easy right. to do. And you often don't get the, a lot of choice, uh, of good varieties for that reason. That's right. Okay. It's just, I mean, it, it's think, think of it like an apple tree, right? You don't grow apples from, I mean, you can grow apples from seed, but you don't with, you're going to, if you're going to be a serious apple producer, or even if you're going to be a backyard apple producer, you're going to buy an apple tree and you're going to plant the tree. And when it's time to propagate that tree, when it's time to make more apple trees, you're going to take cuttings from the tree instead of instead of taking seeds from the fruit. Because the seeds from the fruit aren't going to reproduce what was that that same, that tree's same trait? Okay, that's a great analogy. Thank you for that. Yeah. Now, and and I think and I think so. And then, and then this is complicated because we're also talking about doing annual production versus perennial production. So you've got you've got. Um, I mean, there are some veg some of the some of the herbs that we handled as vegetables. So. Uh, you know things like parsley and dill, uh, cilantro, um, e- even things like marjoram and and savory that weren't hardy in our environment. We would we would start those from seed every year, and then they would we'd either till them in at the end of the year or they would die from the frost by the end of the year. We would have a succession plantings on a lot of those. So like for for a crop like dill, we seeded dill every week so that we had fresh good-looking leaf dill coming off our farm every week. Easy to harvest and, and, and make a lot of money on that way. Uh, cilantro, we did the same thing. Now, something like basil, we would we would grow the basil as transplants every year. So again, we're seeding the basil. So we're t- taking basil seeds because basil is an annual, so it's pretty easy to get good seed production off of that. So we're buying seeds in and we're planting those seeds in the cells, in the transplant trays, making basil plants that way, planting those out in our field. Crops like basil, uh, savory, uh, uh, marjoram, we would have about a, about a four-week uh, succession on those. So we were planting a new crop every four weeks on that to make sure that we had always a fresh supply coming. Um, and then uh, now then we also had the perennial herbs. So perennial herbs in, in my climate are things like uh, chives, uh, oregano, uh, the mints, your peppermint, your spearmint, uh, sage, and thyme. We managed those all in what we called, as, as we thought of them as simple perennials. So we had a, we had a it, I thought of it as a four-year rotation that was happening with those with those herbs to where we would we would plant the herbs we we'd propagate the herbs 
in the early spring and we would plant them. So we'd have, a, and then we'd end up with a nice, we used a two inch pot for that. And we had, so we had a nice big plant that we were planting in the field on August 1st. And that gave it enough time to get established before things froze up around the middle of October. Okay. And then we, and, and then that plant would survive over the winter and it would come back in the spring and start growing. And then we would actually, for that first year, we would just grow that plant. We wouldn't even harvest off of it if we could avoid it. So that plant was able to get nice and established. And usually in the first year, it wasn't very interested in flowering. Now, the next year, um, then we would start harvesting off of that plant. We'd harvest off of it in, in year two, in year three, in year four, in the spring of year four. Now, by this time, we're starting to get some weed pressure because, you know, it's a perennial, it's a perennial herb. It's out there, you know, the plant's out there for a long time. There's plenty of weed seeds blowing in from other places. We're starting to have the plants are not looking so great. So now we're going to, we're going to harvest off of them in the spring and then we're going to just rototill them in. And so every year, we're planting new, and I'm going to use thyme as an example. So every year we're propagating thyme, but you know it's in a it's in a succession. So I might have say four beds or five beds a time going, but one's a first year bed a time, one's a second year bed a time, one's a third year bed a time, one's a fourth year bed a time, and about to get rototilled. Right. I'm really. I'm, I was. We were. I was. I wanted to get to that simple perennial system. So I'm really glad you just outlined it. That's great. Uh, now I, I'd like to. I'd like to move on to harvesting, but I, I did want to ask you about propagating from cuttings. I just. It's something that, uh, frankly, intimidates me a little bit. So is it really difficult to get good at, at doing that well and, and succeeding in in you know you're taking cuttings each year from your from your current stock, and propagating them? Is it should I be intimidated or is it, is it easier than I think? It's easier than you think. The trick is you want to get, you want to get new, good new growth, but you don't want it to be super lush. So what we found is that the best, the best time for us was in, in about late March in our, in our greenhouse. So we would actually bring in plants that we wanted to propagate. We'd, we'd bring those into the greenhouse. And, and then as they started to grow in the spring, um, so late March, we had about enough sunlight that they were really starting to push up, but they hadn't gotten leggy yet. You know, you don't want this really, you don't want super lush, um, wimpy growth. You want, you want good stocky new growth. And you're going to cut about a four-inch piece off um, and then strip about the bottom half of the leaves. And then we just stick it in. We just put it in uh, either trays filled with vermiculite or trays filled with straight perlite. And then we would put a, we'd put a tent over it. So we were keeping it, we were protecting it from any, any air movement and keeping it a little bit warmer. And if you really want to up your success rate, you put a little bottom heat on there too. Mm. So don't let it get too hot, but you want to keep it in a nice, moist environment. Um, the the folks at Johnny's, I think Johnny sells these, but if they don't, you can find them elsewhere. Um, it's called a fogget nozzle. is a really nice way to water those because it, it puts out this very fine mist, and you can so you you do this mist maybe three, four, five times a day over your plants and over these cuttings that are stuck in the vermiculite and that's going to get a lot of moisture on and around all of the leaves and if you keep if you keep a high humidity around the leaves then then the plant's not trying to pump water 
because you know it can't. That's how plant pumps water when it's when it's in when when it's got low humidity around it. That's when it starts to move the water through its system. So this keeps it from trying to pump water, which keeps it from using up its energy reserves. Mm-hmm. So um, so that misting is a really important piece of it. And and then and then again having having some sort of a tent or some sort of a cover that kind of keeps that humidity a little bit higher in it. And you still want it in the light. It's it's not that hard. And you know, if you're really intimidated about 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 propagating from cuttings, um, layering is the is a great technique. So layering is is when you actually encourage the plant to set roots on stems that it already that that are already that are still attached to the plant. So um, now mints are a really good example of this because mint has those has those nice rhizomes that are running just underneath the surface, and and so typically um, typically a mint plant you can dig up a mint plant and you can make a hundred mint plants out of it and they've all got little rootlets on it. So you can just you can just plant those in you know in a 72 or a 50 cell tray, and and there you've got cuttings and they're already rooted and they're already everything's going to work. You can get 100 percent success rate all the time on that. Um, if you're doing something like like rosemary, you know you might not get you might not get such a great success rate on it. But again, so what? You know if you if you take cuttings off of your own plants, that's pretty cheap to do, and then you stick them. So you stick 100 and you get 50. Hmm, big deal. Right. You know? And can you so can you just finish I, your thought on layering then? So like oh yeah, I'm layering. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. No, no. Pick, 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 so, pick one. Pick a pick an herb to 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 explain. Well, so let's let's take thyme for example. So thyme has a it's it's got tends to have lateral growth, so growth that's kind of going along the top of the soil, and then as as those stems are going out sideways, it starts to shoot up. Uh, uh, stems as well that are growing vertically. So it's got a horizontal growth pattern, and then it's got a, a vertical growth pattern. So if you if you get that that horizontal growing stem and get it down in the dirt and or down in the soil, you can do this in a pot or you can do this right out in the field. Um, then then that horizontal portion will actually start to root out. And if you've got time in your in your garden, Jordan, you you've seen this how it's you know it's kind of a big mounding plant. Yeah. And that's because it's got that it's got that horizontal growth and then the vertical growth. That's what it, kind of a mounding plant like that does. And so then you could take one of those horizontal branches. Now it's all going it's going to be rooted all along the branch. It's going to have it's going to have hundreds of roots growing down. And so you could take that that you know, maybe you've got a, a three-inch piece, but it's got it's got twelve vertical pieces coming, vertical stems coming off of that horizontal piece, and you could snip it so each each vertical piece has a little bit of root on it coming out. And now you've got so your so start. You, you can cut. You can take each piece, and and now you've got you know five, ten, twelve seedlings. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about trying to root it because they're the roots are already I started. See. Cool. So now you just got to stick that thing in the you got to stick it in the in a in a pot and it'll start growing. Okay. Um, and so we did so with that layering technique, we did that with oregano, with thyme, and then with the mints. Um, we also had some good luck doing it with. Uh, we experimented with with taking like thyme or mint, having it growing in a pot, and then actually just putting an inch or so of potting soil on top of the plant. So, you know, if the plant had stems that were coming up, you could just uh, uh, up more than an inch, you could just add some potting soil over it. That puts those, those, now you've got stems 
that are in the dark. And once a stem's in the dark, the plant goes, oh, I think I have a root now. And it starts sending out roots off of it. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So, so look, we're time's moving, and I, so I, I want to move on to harvest and post-harvest. But just really quickly, if you can, can you talk like a little bit about um, so that so let's just focus on your on your simple perennials that are on like a three or four year rotation that you you mentioned. Yep. Can you just talk about yep. in the middle of the season with the beds that are planted out, whether they're the second or third year or whatever, watering and feeding like feeding in terms of compost or, or amendments, can you just, was there much, you, like, can you, is there any considerations for watering and feeding? Well, we did, now we want to keep watering them all season long. So we want to be, you know, you want to keep the drip irrigation on plants are made of water. And so you want to keep watering them to keep them in that good vegetative growth. If you let them get stressed, so here, here's when a, when a plant gets stressed, because right, the, the whole reason the plant exists is to make babies. Mm-hmm. It, it wants to make seed. So when the plant gets stressed out, it goes, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I better make babies now before I die because this is the last chance I got. And then it makes flowers. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you, wanna, you don't want to let it get to that point. So keeping the water on it made sure that that happened. We don't want to put a lot of water on the leaves because then you're going to be promoting plant disease. So we use drip irrigation to do that. Um, as far as fertility, we usually put on the fertility in the fall, uh, adding compost at that time. And then we tried to get enough on there that, that we had enough to last us all year because, you know, we're harvesting these fresh herbs. I never felt really good about about putting down compost on something that I was going to be harvesting the next Especially day. Especially because they're so low to the ground. Yeah, because I mean, you're just you're not you're not going to avoid getting stuff on the leaves. It just didn't it didn't. And we don't wash the herbs. You know, when we harvest the herbs, they're not coming in and getting dumped dunked in water, which can reduce your bacterial load. They're not getting hosed off. Um, we're certainly not putting them in a wash water sanitizer. So any contamination that comes in on those plants is we're going to be delivering to the customer. And I don't want to do that. Right. Thank you. Okay, that's it for part one of my conversation with herb grower Chris Blanchard. I hope you enjoyed it and you can check out part two in a week's time. So until then, everybody, and one thing I should say is Chris has uh, graciously made available a fact sheet on our production for ruminant listeners, and you can find that at the website of his brand new podcast. So you can check that out at farmertofarmerpodcast.com, and that too is T-O, so farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash ruminant. When you go to that page, you'll find a uh, request from him to join his mailing list to receive all kinds of useful information. But just below that, you'll also find a link to the herb fact sheet that he put together for Ruminant listeners. So check that out and check out The Ruminant at theruminant.ca or tweet at me at Ruminant blog. Thanks again, folks. Have a great week.